This is a great interview to learn some things that you should do and should not do if you are thinking about joining this training space or if you are ready to join the training space after we finish this COVID-19 self-isolation. Mark talks about uh, the realities of leasing. He talks about what he wish he would have had prepared before he jumped into training, into training full time. And he talks about just good basic uh principles when it comes to internet marketing and marketing in general. He's learned from some of the top internet marketers in the game right now. If you listen to Grant Cardone or Russell Brunson or uh, a few others, then you can imagine what knowledge he's gained from actually attending these conferences and applying it in his basketball training business. And he's also teamed up with one of the best, if not <laughs> the most innovative uh, trainer in the game in Michael Lancaster. He's on the, the team uh, I'm possible. So you can imagine the wealth of knowledge he has from being friends with Micah as well. So listen to this interview, uh, gain the knowledge from it, and let me know what you think about it over at the Basketball Trainer Mastermind group. It's a free group, Mark's in it, and a lot of other verified trainers. So that's my plug. Now here's the interview. I spent the last three years learning from some of the best business minds inside the game of basketball. And now I've left my nine to five to create freedom and have fun while doing it. So the question is, how are hoopers and basketball fanatics like us using those same skills that gave us success on the court to give us success in our new sport of business? This podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I learn, apply, share knowledge, and change lives through the game that changed mine. My name is Myson Jones, and welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. So Mark Kennebrew, tell tell me this. Did you catch the listeners up to where you are now and then backtrack before you started your basketball training business? What does that history look like? Uh, well, right now I've um, recently opened up a, a 7,200 square foot facility. Um, been in it about a year, I guess. Um, that's kind of where I'm at now. We're basketball every day, all day. I think the, the, the facility is, um, I feel like it's a, it's pretty amazing. I get to hang out here every day. Kids, kids enjoy it. Um, married four wonderful kids, a grandson. Um, so between just working with, with the kids that are in my program, then also getting to watch my kids play and grow up and um, big, big part of why, why I got into this. Um, prior to basketball training, I, I owned my own construction company. Um, oh, that's probably been... I don't know. It's been five, five, six years now, uh, five years, uh, owned my own construction company was kind of looking to get into basketball, um, find a way to stay in basketball. I was already doing the YMCA coaching my kids, um, was trying to find a way to, uh, as my kids were getting older, kind of stick with the game. Um, so I was actually going to go back to school. I was originally going to school for, elementary education. Uh, I was going to go back to school, finish my teaching degree. 
uh, get into the coaching system, uh, kind of take take that route. I think a lot of a lot of guys that have uh, the the love for the game and, and the coaching side, the training side. I think a lot of guys try to take that route. Um, and at that time, I couldn't figure out how to make basketball do train train kids um, for a living. Um, came across some YouTube videos, I think, and and uh, Michael Lancaster was having a, a coaching trainers clinic in Vegas um, that I essentially ended up going to, and half hour into that conference, I was, I was pretty blown away, um, by what I didn't know about basketball. Um, and just this whole different, uh, vision, I guess, perspective on, on the game and, and teaching kids, uh, came back from that weekend at the time I had six employees, um, building houses, remodeling. Uh, and this was in like October, I think, uh, but came back told all my employees that they had till the end of the year to find something different because uh, I was going to be done with construction and kind of just went all in, went all in on the training side of things. Oh, let's backtrack then. <laughs> what happened in those 30 minutes when you got to Vegas? I saw you uh, shouted out Micah for his birthday. What happened in those 30 minutes that was so life-changing? Just just listening to Micah speak, I guess. Um, and just the, the detail and the, and the, the passion that he had, uh, at the time, my oldest daughter was, uh, it was after her sophomore year of high school. She had just come off of ACL surgery and I actually took her with me. And at the time I thought, I thought she was a pretty decent player. Um, I took her with me and she ended up being kind of one of their demo players. They use, uh, different players in their in their demonstrations um, and really just the the detail and the approach that that Micah and even the other trainers that were there I was uh, I was pretty blown away because um, I think for a lot of us we, we teach and we train the way that we were taught the way our parents taught us or the way that other coaches trainers taught us when we were growing up um, which is how I had always done it up until that point. And I just saw this whole other side of, of the training, training community, training world, I guess you could say, that I was, I was pretty um, amazed by. So let me ask you this. You, in, that, in that status, you mentioned something. Uh, five years ago, you purchased a plane ticket that you couldn't afford. And I'm assuming that was for the Vegas trip to see Micah and for your daughter to go there. If, yeah. that, if that were the case... What or when did you find out or believe that basketball training could be something that financially could take care of the family and yourself that construction couldn't or wasn't? Um, that took a while. Um, again, still even at that point, still didn't really know how, how anybody could do this um, for a living. So for probably the next three and a half years, I still did construction. That was still my main income. I just didn't have any employees. I downsized a lot, um, sold a lot of equipment. 
um, so I could follow, so I could follow this dream, follow this path. Um, but I did both for a very long time. Um, well, well, what, what felt like a long time, I guess so only three, three and a half years wasn't really wasn't that bad. And just up until, um, probably right about now, um, about a year and a half that I've just been doing basketball training. Um, and so again, it took, it took a while. Um, it didn't take a while for me to realize I could do it full time. I just knew it was going to take a little while to get to that point, I guess. Uh, you have previous business experience with the construction business and maybe there are other things you haven't yet mentioned, but is it time? Does it take time to get to this point because of just it's what, that's what's needed? Is it business acumen in this industry? Is it, what would you say that it is? Why wasn't it, one year with construction and basketball training versus three and a half years, four years? I'd say, I'd say it was because I didn't know how to do it, um, which is a big part of, you know, doing, doing interviews like this, um, trying to keep myself available to anyone that has questions about anything. I think um, when I got into it, there was really no one to look to, to help on the business side. Um, you had, you had, you know, the Micah Lancasters, you had, uh, who else was big then? DJ Sackman, Jay Lolly, like those guys that were already big names. Um, but trying, trying to get help from guys that have already made it is a, is a hard thing to do. When you've got, when you've got questions just about small things, you know, price structure or websites or just stuff like that. Um, just a lot of that stuff business minded that I just didn't know how to do it um, right away. So it, again, probably a, a year into it, um, you realize you just don't think of there being a sales aspect again to, to what we do. Um, and finally, I actually uh, went to a Grant Cardone sales boot camp one weekend in, in Florida. Uh, and that really, that, that opened my eyes even more to how much I was missing just on the sales side of things. Um, and just learning just like any business, if you treat it like a business, you've got to, you've got to learn how to market. You've got to learn how to basically sell yourself, um, to the community and, um, ads and marketing and just, just stuff like that. Uh, so kind of that weekend I, I spent um, in Florida, just learning from Grant Cardone and the other speakers that were there, really opened my eyes and kind of been pretty heavy on the sales marketing side of things for the last couple of years now. I saw that and we talked about it briefly before we started recording, but you know, there's Grant Cardone, which I did not know about. There's Russell Brunson as well, who, if you have ClickFunnels or listen to this podcast, you probably is at the top of the internet marketing game. What was that? Did you go to a Funnel Hacker Live? What event did you go to or how did you come across Russell? Yeah, so the most, uh, I, came, I came across Russell through Grant Cardone. Um, so I dove pretty heavy into Cardone University. Uh, he's got a whole sales marketing um, university that, that you can buy into. Uh, so I was 
kind of just really dug into that as far as trying to teach myself um, and learn as much as I could on the, on the sales side of things. Um, and I went to uh, one of his 10X conventions, um, which was also in Florida. Uh, he rented out Marlin Stadium. There was like 30,000 something people there. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, prior, I guess, prior to going to that, I had kind of heard of ClickFunnels, Russell Brunson. Um, at the time, I was using Infusionsoft, uh, so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention um, to ClickFunnels. Um, but at the 10X Growth Con, uh, Russell Brunson was there and had a, did his stage. Million dollar day. <laughs> uh, yeah, did his, did his stage stuff. Um, and I was, I was, I was bought in. I mean, that's what happens when you go to these things, these sales guys, I mean, they, they, they get you. Um, but I was, I was pretty bought in, um, with what Russell was, was selling. And that was just over a year ago. Um, February of, of 2019 was the 10X growth con that I went to. Um, and kind of since that point, I've, I shifted gears, uh, don't get into the Cardone stuff as much anymore. I really just, everything Brunson throws out there, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty deep into. So I'm like you, I'm an avid learner. I like, I, I know I'm about to get sold. I know when somebody's selling, I know, <laughs> right. I know the funnels, the tripwires, all the terminology and everything, but I still like to go through the process and see how they're doing what they're doing. For you, do you find yourself going back, revisiting these things and applying what you've learned because it's easy to stack up on the knowledge but applying mm -hmm. is a different thing so what is that process like for you personally um kind of up up to this point it's been it's been a whole lot of just stacking stuff up um lots of courses lots of reading <clears throat> excuse me uh and probably within the last I don't know, six, six months or so, I've, I've really started to shift into trying to start to implement some stuff. Obviously, along the way, you implement some little things that you catch. Uh, but I think for the most part, it was a lot of just learning as much as I could, watching as much videos, courses. If I saw something that I could plug in quickly, as far as like Facebook ads, or a quick change to my website or something like that, then I would implement it right away. Um, but I think for the, for the most part, it's been just a lot of stacking stuff up, probably too much. You can definitely get very caught up in just trying to learn and learn and learn and learn. And if you don't ever implement anything, it's, it essentially becomes a waste of time, waste of money. Um, so really shifting now, trying to stay away from Again, the, the sales guys in the funnels, they get you $47 this, $19.99 this. Like it's, it's easy to jump in and grab something that might catch your eye. But especially now that we're got a lot more time on our hands, you got a lot of stuff popping up on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, so trying to put a lot of that stuff aside and just dig into trying to make business better, um, finding different ways that, that you can have an income and just looking at your your landing pages here i'm looking at the 
all access membership, which I like the deal at the very top. You have a, a value stack. Uh, yeah. First and foremost, can you explain to the audience what a value stack is? <clears throat> value stack is, is basically um, kind of you breaking down a lot of stuff that you have to offer uh, at different price points. Um, so getting, getting customers to understand the value of what they're getting. So I guess, it, you know, in, in, the, in the marketing world, you would essentially have a, have a low offer um, all the way up to a high offer. Um, and just being able to stack everything that, that you think would be valuable um, to other, to clients, to players, to parents, um, and just starting to bundle a lot of that stuff so they, they start to see um, the, the actual value of what they're getting. Yeah, I like the funnel you show here. I've heard people say try to you know, show 10 times the value. So if you're selling something for $1,000, you know, something for the mask for $10,000, um, show the value in $10,000. And it's like, you know, that's that sometimes sounds like you may be gouging people, but yours <laughs> right. it, it seems more realistic for the value there and the savings seem uh, appropriate. So, um, yeah, so I, I, like I guess with like with that, I try to actually break it down if someone were to purchase one of those separately, you know, by itself. So um, i trying to think of what I have on there, but like the unlimited skill lab membership, um, we run that for one hundred and thirty five a month. If you I don't even know what, what is that times one thirty five times twelve, whatever that comes out to be. Uh, that's that's what I have it on there stack that so i think for the most part I, I tried to actually sit down and figure out what it would be if someone wanted to just purchase one of them um over a 12-month period what, what i thought it would be worth i like that uh so other question for you what do you what have you been the most surprised with when it comes to all this implementation has it been the amount of work that it takes to just have a website change has it been the amount of uh, things that have been beneficial to you that have actually changed your business or what has caught you off guard or been the uh, biggest surprise from some of this content you've been consuming from these guys? Um, I think a lot of it is in a sense how, how easy it is. Um, and just how many people don't do it. So I think, for anybody you can go on YouTube or you, you can you can find the answers typically um, to the questions you have and just digging into it and actually just sitting down and teaching yourself how to do it um, a lot of it's not really hard as far as as far as how to do it the hard part is is finding the answers or, or even having the right questions I guess on what you should be doing um, but a lot of this stuff, once you, once you understand it, I think, um, it's really not that hard to do. So like, for example, um, for probably a good year, I put off, um, doing an online site, doing an online membership site, kind of like a courses site. Uh, our current situation has kind of put me into overdrive just to get it done. Right. And I think a lot of us fall into that. 
that if you just sit down and just do it because you know you have to get it done and you, you start to understand how, how easy some of this stuff is. Um, but I was very surprised by just once I got into it, um, again, this is through ClickFunnels. So, you know, they, they sell you on the ease of doing stuff. Um, but with, with that, I was very surprised and just, once you get into things, you start getting other ideas on what you can do and just being able to take it a lot further. Uh, but that's one thing I, I just recently that I found like, wow, this really isn't that hard. I just need to make the time to make the content and put it together. And it's all plug and play for the most part. So for you, I'm assuming the, the construction business, of course, is a little bit different. Um, you're looking at what do you have to pay your contractors? You're looking at how long is it going to take for me to actually you know, complete this project? Uh, how long is it going to take us to get paid? I mean, there's a lot of things. It seems it's like it's more nuanced, much more nuanced than basketball. And mm -hmm. you probably had certain metrics you were looking at for the construction business. So fast forward after you finish with the construction business or you at least tell your, your employees you're going to be transitioning. What metrics were you looking at before you decided to purchase your 7,200 square foot area? Or did you rent before you purchased this? What was that process? Um, I, I currently rent now, so I don't, um, for me, I kind of just got into a very good situation. So I don't, I don't own the building. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm, on, I'm in a lease, I'm in a five-year lease. Uh, but I was very, it's a brand new building and I was very involved in, in how it was getting built. Um, so again, for, for me, it ended up being just a very perfect situation. Um, my partner, cause we kind of did go, go in on this together. Um, but I am leasing it. I paid for everything that's in it, basketball court, baskets, um, basically the entire inside. Um, so we did partner and go in on it together. Um, but this, this was a, a gentleman that loved what I do, um, loves what I do. And I've been training his three girls since I started. Um, so again, perfect situation because he already owned the lot. Um, he was going to build this building regardless and rent it out for shop space. Um, over about a year's time of us just visiting on what we could really do. Uh, this is, this is what we ended up with. Cause originally it was only going to be, my space was only going to be 60 by 60. So this was going to be, this was going to be a very big, basically shop space. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's a, it's a shop that has a basketball court in it. Um, but it was going to be three separate shop stalls and my stall was going to be 60 by 60. Um, once blueprints and stuff came out and we were looking at it, it was actually his idea. Um, cause I was still trying to figure out how I was going to afford the 60 by 60 space. Um, just trying to figure out numbers and how all that's going to work. Um, but by us knocking out one wall and adding, um, another 30 feet, we realized that now we would have enough space to have a regulation size high school basketball court in it. Um, and for his kids, um, he just, we both saw a vision there because court space, especially in this area, probably most areas is very hard to come by. Um, 
And so we agreed on a five-year lease. I don't realistically, I don't see myself ever going anywhere. Um, but again, for, for me in, in the space, in the situation, it was, it was kind of a, a very perfect um, situation as, as far as having something this size. So yeah, the high school regulation for high school regulation, the dimensions are what, 84 by 50, right? Yep. So yep. you have significantly more space than that. Are you using another portion for another gym? Is there another, another goal? Excuse me. Up there, yeah. or what is that space used for? So I have, I have five baskets. Um, so the main court space is 90, oh, 90 by 55 um, is where the, the full court is at. But then I also have an off court space that is 30 by, no, it's about 50 by 35. Um, so I have two baskets over in that space. Um, still all attached in the same in the same area um but yeah we've got the two main baskets um and then i have one basket over on the main wall and then i have two baskets over in the off court space all right so you mentioned something earlier you were trying to figure out how you would make the 60 by 60 work so how does the 94 by 55, how do you quantify that or what numbers do you break down before you even start this to justify purchasing um, that a big, a big part of that was knowing that I could rent the court out um, if I needed to. So I actually broke numbers down if I completely quit training, if I had no income from that and all I did was rent the court out, I could still make it work. Um, looked at a lot of situations of, of always having the court rented out and doing my training in the off court space. Uh, so broke down a lot of numbers, um, looking at it that way, seeing how I could make money with a full court. Uh, so it paid for itself. Um, so knowing we, we looked at renting it out year round. So now you're talking about having, uh, having it, having it set up for volleyball nets and whatnot, getting volleyball teams in here. Um, something I've never wanted to do necessarily. Uh, but it was definitely an option to see how we could, how we could make this work, um, financially. And again, that was, that was breaking down numbers, assuming I was doing no training, bringing in no revenue on that side of things. What would you suggest trainers track the most? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at some important metrics and they change, but uh, one that comes to mind is the occupancy ratio. So how many kids are in each class? Uh, mm -hmm. How much does the gym cost? There's a lot of things you can track, you can measure. And I'm sure with basketball, you guys had stats that you tracked. For us uh, in college, if we won the battle of the boards, won the battle in the paint, turn the ball over less than 12 times, then we had a, a win, a W. What are those numbers for you that are, are important for your business or for any basketball training business? Um, right now, I think with, with my numbers, um, as far as, as, as memberships go, if I, can keep, if I can keep my memberships at like 
110 members and higher. Um, then we're doing then we're doing okay, uh, right around 110 members, and that's with um, probably an average ticket of like what are we at like 117 dollars right now um, per member. So if I can stay if I can stay at least above 110, then I can pay the bills. Then we're we're not we're not in the red. Um, soon as it drops below that, I'm still doing okay. Once we drop below a hundred, um, that's really when I know we've got to start getting some other stuff in, in place or, or having other, other options in place as far as, um, camps or, um, just little pop-up clinics that I, that I know we have to do in certain months because you are going to have your months that are, that are a lot higher than others. Um, so really just having a good understanding of where those numbers are at and what time of year you're in. Um, and I think a lot of trainers, I think a lot of trainers that are trying to do this full time, uh, a big thing that I think a lot of trainers struggle with is what to charge, how to have, how to have a right pricing structure. And I, and I fully believe that anybody that wants to do this full time needs to have their training set up as a subscription, as a monthly membership. Um, so then you, then you, if you have a monthly membership set up, um, as, as far as a business goes, like you've already been paid for the month. Now it's up to the players or it's up to the parents to actually show up to training. Right. So I think for a, for a steady income, I think anyone that wants to do this full time needs to figure out how to um, get their business set up subscription based as a membership. You're signing up for an entire month of training um, and you got to figure out your, your gym time and what days, times that you're available um, for these players to come train. Which leads me to the next question. It sounds great, actually. Uh Ryan Rizuki. I don't know if you know Ryan or have heard of Ryan. He's uh, in the San Diego area. He mentioned this as well. I think it was one or two podcast episodes before you, but he has subscriptions now, but before he leased or owned his own building, he was timid to actually have those subscriptions because he didn't own the space. He had to actually rent that space out. So right. um, might be a conversation or a topic for another another episode, but I'm sure you probably have some some knowledge on lease negotiations or, or renting court space and what that would look like. Uh, what does that look like for you in Team Impact? I saw that you have an, a development team that you are really close with. Tell me more about that yeah. relationship. Um, so I started that program um, a few years ago. Um, the original Impact team, excuse me, um, that I coach, they're fifth graders now. Um, I coach that team. My son's on that team. Um, they started training back when they were in first grade. And so the impact program is built a hundred percent around the training. And so it's really good trying to get parents, trying to get players to buy into a training concept and not be so concerned about these traveling tournaments that they go to. Uh, there's plenty of time for that. Um, and obviously we play games, we, we travel, we go to tournaments, 
but it's by no means the focus of what we're doing. Uh, really trying, again, getting parents, getting players to buy into training and, and trying to help these kids reach their dreams, whatever they might be. Um, get them ready for high school, college, pros, wherever they want to take it. Uh, but really getting them to, to buy into the training side first. Um, and then as they're all getting individually better, it starts to tr transfer to, to the court. And, and we really try to keep these kids um, together from third grade through eighth grade, um, kind of in the, same, in the same program as far as the impact program goes. Um, I got the idea, I got the concept from um, Team Rio that's out of New Jersey. Um, Micah started with a group of those kids, Scotty Lewis, Brian Antoine, back when they were in third, fourth, fifth grade. And they stuck with it um, all the way through high school. And just seeing where, I think the original group of kids that, that started with I'm Possible, um, they were class of, of 2019. Um, and there was probably a group of, of 23, 26 kids somewhere in there um, that were all class of 2019, started with, with I'm Possible, and um, they all graduated and all had Division I scholarships. Um, so I was just very amazed by, obviously I, I'm good friends with Micah and I, I'm truly believe in just the whole training concept there but i think any player any any training program if a kid just sticks with it and that's really the idea um over an extended amount of time like sky sky's the limit um for these kids to reach their dreams so that that's kind of where the idea came from um trying to just in, implement that and and help a lot of the kids just just in this area um, get to wherever they're trying to go. I lost you. Can't hear you. So we have about two questions left in the in the time budget. First one is: Do you curious to know on the on the subject of development teams? Do you combine the development teams' practices with the training sessions? You have more space than the average basketball trainer. So how do you navigate those two things with? A development team that's main focus is on training and not so much playing in these games and these tournaments. What are the nuances so, with that? Um, and so in our in our area, uh, most traveling teams, um, the most common thing these these teams practice twice a week. I think that's probably the most common thing. And what we've really done, because um, coaches, you can get you can get caught up in in do I work on team stuff? Do I work on skill development? And it's a very hard thing for coaches to do, um, especially at a youth level, because for the most part, it's going to be a parent volunteering um, to coach to coach the team. Um, so what we've done is we've taken those two practices, we've taken it down to one practice. Um, now obviously, two one practice isn't enough. Two practices is certainly not enough. Um, but what you find is with, with two practices, what parents end up doing is they, they drop their kids off to a coach twice a week and they're expecting miracles, right? They want their kid to get better. They want us winning games. 
dropping your kid off to a coach twice a week. So what we've really done is we've, we've taken out the second practice. Um, we've gone to one practice a week, allow, allow our coaches to focus on team oriented stuff. Um, your plays, whatever you want to take your team through. And outside of that, the players are required to um, make it to a training session. Only one. They, got, they have to make it to at least one a week. That's kind of, that's the requirement to take place of that second practice. Um, most of my kids, most of my kids that, that, that are on the team that I coach, they come two, three, four times a week. Um, but what we've really done is we've, we've put more responsibility on the players and on the parents to get their kids to a training session. And so what we've really found is, Again, if you have two scheduled practices a week, parents, they do what they have to do as far as they're scheduled to get their kids to, to that practice, right? And what you, what you start to see is when, when practice isn't, isn't a mandatory thing, now you start having parents, you start having players that, that are missing training because it's not mandatory. Um, practices are... Practices with a coach obviously directly reflect playing time. So we, we talk about this a lot and we really focus on it. Like you need to have a plan. You need to have uh, this figured out to where you make it to one training session a week. So we train um, Monday through Thursday and Saturdays. So for the most part, my players have, five opportunities um, so they can work around their schedule um, to make it to make it to a training session. I like it. And last question, Mark, for the trainers or the aspiring trainers who want to find out more about you, reach out and ask a question, where can they go to do that? Um, Instagram is probably the easiest. Um, it's Mark underscore Kinnebrew. Um, I love, I love when, when trainers reach out and, and have questions. Um, I also have a Facebook page, very, very similar to what, to what, to your page. Um, just trying to get trainers, you know, just in a, in a, in a group, help, help whoever I can learn as much as, as I can from other guys. I, I love just having these conversations. Um, cause I still learn stuff. I, I definitely don't have all the answers. I'm scrambling, trying to figure out how to manage this quarantine and this, just the situation that we're in, um, like we all are. But a big part of why I jumped into your, your, your group, I love what you got going on there. Um, just to get ideas, meet other guys, um, still trying to learn as much as I can. Uh, but yeah, in, Instagram's probably the, the easiest, easiest way to go about getting a hold of me. Mark Kennebrew, great episode. Uh, great talking to you, man. And I appreciate the time and the wisdom you shared with the audience. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode. And I will catch you on the next one.